Warning, the following podcast may contain potential plot spoilers, but then again, it may not at all. Hello and welcome to Potential Spoilers. I'm Kieran and I'm joined by Maddie D. And I'm Maddie D. Hello. <laughs> we are, I already introduced you as Maddie D. <laughs> we know who you are. That still throws me off. I thought I was used to it by now, but it throws me off that you don't do a spoiler. We get we get comfortable in the formula, right? The introduction, the spoiler. Yeah. You know? It's like a warm hug. I remember exactly. we did like some editing or I you, I was watching you do some editing and we ran through all the uh all the episodes like the intro for all the episodes after one after yeah, that's the other. Right. And the cadence stays the same. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, what? Yeah, well, we get into a groove and that just works. And we don't want to throw people off. If they've been yeah. listening to us for years, then we, we don't want them to be completely thrown off by something completely different at the start like this one. But if you've listened to our Movie Talk episodes before, because yes, of course, this is another installment of our Movie Talk series. These episodes are more loosey-goosey where we let our hair down. We don't follow our standard structure of attempting to predict movies or seeing how well we did. And instead, we get to talk all things movies. Mm. And one of my favourite instalments we've ever done of Movie Talk was the one last year back in July 2021 where we both got each other to watch a movie that we haven't seen before and then we come back and reflect on it on this show. So, can you believe it's been over a year? It's been a year and two months since we did our last instalment of I Force You to Watch This. Yeah, I get I get reminded of episodes we did, you know, through social media and whatnot. And I'm like always shocked. I'm like, really? We did that like two years ago? We did that a yeah. year ago? It feels like yesterday. Yeah, I swear that we only did that previous I Force You to Watch This episode uh, only a couple of months ago, but it's been a year. I, a year. It's been a year. It's been a year. <laughs> it's been a year. I was going to say it's been years, but that's not true. It's been over a year. It's a year and a couple I of months. I can't believe that. So, with that in mind, oh, before we get on to that, I just want to remind everyone as well that if you want to put one of our previous movie predictions to the test, you currently can, because streaming on Disney Plus right now, as of today, is Hocus Pocus 2. Aren't we all excited? Just in time for the Halloween season. They're promoting this movie now? Like, that would have been helpful. Yeah, when we predicted it. There was no information on that movie. (laughs) Well, there was a little bit of information on that movie, but yeah, now that we're getting closer to the date, this is just a standard Disney thing. This is something we can talk about straight away. So, since the pandemic, movie studios, Disney in particular, have realized that they, if they promote a movie too early and then if something happens, for example, a pandemic, mm. that causes the movie to be delayed, they lose a shitload of money in advertising costs that don't amount to anything. So, what they've done now, and given that Disney has so many pots on the boil with their TV series, like their Disney Plus exclusives, along with having a movie come out every couple of weeks yeah. in the cinema, they don't want to, like, overcrowd the market. So, I found that they suddenly do all of their pre-release sort of promotion for a movie uh, maybe three or four weeks before the movie comes out. Right. So, I guess with Disney now, we're going to have to push like our episode as close as we can to release because otherwise we're going to miss out on promotional material. Why are they doing this to us? Why are they doing it? They're doing it to save money. And like I said, they just don't want to crowd the pan, basically. No, they're doing it to make it difficult for us. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they saw too many episodes where they're like, oh, shit, they, they got our number. They guessed yeah. what we, we're going to do in the movie in advance, so we're going to make it harder for them. No pre-release material for them to guess on. They heard us say, every movie starts with a childhood flashback, and they looked at all their like scripts and like, oh, no. Yeah, every action movie has a motorcycle chase. <laughs> Hope uh, Pocus Pocus has one. Well, Lawrence of Arabia basically had one. Oh, <laughs> we'll, yeah. We'll talk about it in a sec, but yeah, anyway. So, what I wanted to reflect on straight away at the start of this episode, now that it's been a year since we watched both Porco Rosso and Jackie <laughs> Brown, I just want to know if our opinions have changed on those movies at all, if we still feel the same way we did a year ago. I think because we covered Porco Rosso first, we should talk about that first. Okay. And uh, I don't know <laughs> what to really say. Uh, I remember I liked the movie well enough last time, but I remember saying that, that it wasn't one of my favorite Studio Ghibli movies. 
if you remember that conversation. Yes, like, yes. I would consider something like... Which is fair. That's a great studio. They do a lot of great movies. Yeah, they do so many good movies, it's hard to have them all be as good as, you know, your favourite ones. So, the first one I was introduced to, I think, was Spirited Away, which is still easily my favourite. Outstanding. Then I've got other ones like Howl's Moving Castle. Princess Mononoke. Princess Mononoke. Those are my top three. Uh-huh. And then I guess Porco Rosa would be, like, my number four. Oh, okay. Because well, I still like it. I like it, but good. it's not up there with my favourites. And it just wasn't overall a, a, a genre of movie that would be like my go-to. Like the whole sort of uh, rogue fighter pilot airplane thing just isn't <laughs> yeah. like my style of movie. If I were to pick a movie to watch, basically. So, like I said, I like the movie. I haven't revisited it since or really thought about it since we did that original episode. But my thoughts haven't really changed on it. It hasn't, it hasn't fallen in esteem, but it also hasn't grown in esteem. Yeah, fair enough. I remember picking that movie for you thinking you would really like it. Uh, I, I kind of felt it had like a James Bond-esque vibe to it, and I know you disagree with mm. that to an extent. Yeah, we covered that in the previous yeah. episode. Yeah, but, you know, you didn't hate it, so... No. That's something. I don't think I was ever going to hate it. At least I didn't give you a shit movie to watch. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> well, what are you saying about Jackie Brown? So no. Has your opinion changed on Jackie Brown over the so years? So, I, I think I think both of us in the in the episode previous where we covered these movies, we, we both enjoyed the movies we watched. Yeah. We'd had nothing negative to say. I remember saying about Jackie Brown. Well, actually, you did say it wasn't a good movie. You said specifically it wasn't a good yes. movie. And you said your quote was, I would say that this movie is overrated, but no one talks about this movie. <laughs> God, I'm shady. Uh, well, if that's the case, then I guess I guess it has grown in my esteem then. Because I remember we'd be sitting in a bar yes. and then like a song from the Jackie Brown soundtrack would come on and I go, oh, do you remember this song being in Jackie Brown? And then you go, you know what? That movie wasn't as bad as I made it out to be. Yeah. So have you really come around to it in this Yeah, time? yeah, I have. I, I haven't really rewatched it. I think me and you watched it once uh, together. Yeah, years just, ago. Just randomly. But I haven't really rewatched it since. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think what you said about the movie really rings true that it's it's not a movie that you go and you watch and you get caught up in the plot. It's kind of like a chill movie. You're like, you, yeah. You kind of sit there and you kind of just let the atmosphere well, wash Well, we did over discuss you. this last time. But like I said last time, when I first watched the movie, I initially didn't like it that much. Mm. And then I went away and then over the course of a couple of months or maybe a year, I grew to appreciate it more. And then each time I watched, I enjoyed it more. Yeah. And it sounds like a similar thing's happening to you. Now, if we recall in that previous installment, you attempted to emulate that experience by watching the movie twice in one (laughs) sitting, essentially, (laughs) which I think made it worse because then it becomes like Chinese water torture. Yes, yes. I think with that movie, it's definitely far from being my favorite Tarantino movie. Yeah, of Um, course. I'm the same. Yeah. And I think it's a movie where parts are really good. I think it'd be a movie if I was to watch it, I'd just fast forward through bits of it. Yeah, maybe. If you know what I mean. No, I would but, I wouldn't do that, but that's because I've grown to like the movie a lot over the years. But I think I think it works as kind of like a chill out movie. You put it on, you don't pay much attention to it. You don't have to get so caught up in the plot and whatever. It's just like a fun relaxing movie yeah. with some good acting, with some cool moments in it. And it's so. not particularly intense either, so there's not going to be like brutal yes. violence or anything shocking like you would typically yeah. see in a Tarantino movie. Yeah, it's, it's more sort of standard movie going fair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's grown in my esteem, definitely. Well, there you go. I think that's good to hear. So anyway, let's get into talking about the movies that we're here to talk about this week. Yes. So last week, if you remember at the end of that episode, both Maddie D and I picked a movie for each other to watch. Maddie D picked Lawrence of Arabia, the 1962 classic for me to watch. And I picked Congo, the 1995 movie for Matty D to watch. <laughs> you didn't say classic. <laughs> well, it was a movie. I'm not going <laughs> to say it's a classic, but maybe, well, maybe we could come around to it. So yeah. I think we should dive into Lawrence of Arabia first, just because I think that's the one with the most meat on its bones. Well, sure. 
in my opinion, I think it's it's the most it's got the, it's got the longest runtime. We'll say that. So I think we've got a lot to cover in it. So I think that's why we should dive into it first, and then sort of like as a cherry on top, right at the end. That's when we'll talk about Congo. Okay. As a sort of like compare and contrast, because <laughs> if you ask me, we sort of joked about it last week, but if you ask me, they're kind of similar movies in a way. They both have scenes in Africa. Yes, that is true. They're both big budget epics in a way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're certainly both big budget. Yes, I guess that's true. I guess they are very similar. They have an all-star cast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, let's get straight into talking about Lawrence of Arabia. So, Maddie, do you pick this movie for me? So, what can you tell us about Lawrence of Arabia from your point of view? And what is your history with the movie yes, personally? Yes, yes. Can I also say why I picked it for you as well? Yeah, of course. That was going to be my next question. To- oh, well, I'll- I'll- excellent. I'll just flow straight through to it. So, I mean, Lawrence of Arabia was one of those movies that's an all-star. Like, it's a classic. Everyone talks about it. You know, yeah, and and you just hear a lot about it just through people talking about famous. So of course, movies. it came out in nineteen sixty two. Nineteen sixty two. I'm going to be doing all Matty D's research <laughs> for this episode. This is a movie talk episode, and it was directed by David Lean, who of course directed The Bridge Over River Kwai and Doctor Zhivago, mm. and of course it was based on the military career of a Lawrence Thomas Edward Lawrence, yeah, as chronicled in his nineteen twenty six book Seven Pillars of Wisdom. But not an accurate portrayal, I don't think. It's fairly accurate. Historians have said that the movie is fairly accurate. There are a few embellishes here and there, and a lot of people say that Lawrence is full of shit anyway, so we're going to have to take everything that he says with a grain of salt, but everything we see in the movie, historians have said, is fairly accurate. So, there's some locations, in fact, most of the locations in the movie are actual locations described in Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Mm. So, certain towns and certain buildings are the exact ones where Lawrence was uh, 40 to 50 years earlier. So, they even found the train tracks where he would blow up Turkish trains. They found the exact same train tracks in perfect condition and then just reused them in the movie. Yeah. But anyway, let's go back to your history with it. Yes. And what your takeaway from first watching it was. Yeah, so, it it was a movie I heard a lot about and I was doing a thing where I was going through going back through and watching like old movies, movies that have always been on my list that I've always wanted to watch, but never really had the the time to watch. So, Mm. I was just killing time by watching those movies, those kind of movies. And I really kind of got into the long movies. I went and watched um, Once Upon a Time in America, finally, Mm -hmm. Once Upon a Time in uh, the West, finally. And I really kind of enjoyed, I I guess, doing this show as well, where we deal with a lot of like fast-paced action movies. It's kind of nice to have a, to go back- And and children's movies. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And watch it like, watch a classic that takes three, four hours to tell its mm. story and isn't afraid to just kind of like just sit linger. in the atmosphere and linger. Yeah. And so, Lawrence of Arabia was just one one of them that was on my list. So, I didn't really have a lot of expectations for it. I sort of played it over the course of a few days. I didn't watch it all in one <laughs> sitting. Yeah. Well, you know, so it would be like I would get done with work. So you'd watch it like a TV series. So, you'd watch maybe yes. half an hour a day. Yes. So, so you I- could spread that over, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight <laughs> days. <laughs> I would I would watch it like after like work and everything. When I go to- went to bed, I'd just watch a bit of Lawrence of Arabia. And I didn't have a lot of high expectations for oh, it. Oh, wow. So, it helped you get to sleep, did it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, when I, I remember when it started, I was kind of like my reaction was, I don't really know about this. I don't know if this is for me, you know. Right. I found like Lawrence a bit of a funny character yeah. to get invested in. And then as the the movie kind of progressed, I was kind of wowed by, you know, the cinematography and, and just like the, the style of it. And I was like, you know what, whatever about this movie, but, you know, it's, it's gorgeous and it's really well done. And I'm really mm. impressed by this. 
And then I just began to fall in love with the movie and got like swept away with this journey. And I thought the story was well so told. Stockholm Syndrome started to set in. I just like, like, if I'm going to be stuck here for four hours with these characters, <laughs> I might as well enjoy the experience. I like the movie and I think they told a really good story. And I think there were ups and downs. And I think there were times that we really loved Lawrence. Like we, we sided with him. We sided with his plight. And there was a period in the movie where we're just like, actually, fuck this guy. He's, mm. he's terrible. We'll talk all about it. And then you go back and and- for a movie- so when was this, by the way? You never explained when this was yeah, that you watched the movie. This, this would have been probably last year, sometime. Mm. I can't sp- think of. Or well, maybe a couple time. of months ago. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> maybe. Who knows? What is time, right? But yeah, I, I kind of was like, oh, how can a movie that's based in a desert hold my attention? Even mm. just through, like, just being in that same atmosphere all the time. I, I imagine if I just was watching people walk around the desert, I'd just get bored. And it's and historical sand. drama as well. Of course, yes. you probably didn't know that going in. No, not I really, certainly no. didn't either. No, but I was really wowed by it. I really impressed. I, I sung its praises to you afterwards. The reason I suggested it to you was mm. because we did a uh, a podcast way back, way back in our infancy as podcasters. Yeah, that's right. We did a we did a podcast where we covered all the best movies ever made, and this movie came on the table. And I was always intrigued to watch this movie, and you vetoed this movie. Yes, you said it's too long. I don't want to cover it. It's just too much work. And I was like, okay, that's a shame. I think that would have been a really cool conversation, and I think that would have been a really cool movie. And then I since watched that movie, and I was like, whoa. I really liked it. I got a lot out of that. And I think a lot of people would get a lot out of it. So I said to you one day at a bar, I was like, you should watch this movie because I don't know if you'll like it. I don't know if you hate it, but I'd be very interested to see what you come, you take away from That's it. That's right. And you did not. So I, I forced said, you to do I it said, today. I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to watch that movie ever. And so you get the, you seize the opportunity last week and you're like, finally, I can make him watch it. And I have now since watched it. So I ended up watching, I don't know which version you watched, but I ended up watching the restored director's cut, which is just shy of four hours. So it's three hours and and 47 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's not that much longer than the original cinematic cut, which was five minutes shorter. So it was three hours and 42 minutes, I believe. And believe it or not, when the movie was originally released, upon its second release, they actually cut 20 minutes out of the movie. Yeah, I heard that. And on its 1971 re-release, they actually cut an hour. They cut the movie down to an hour and 20 minutes, which I would love to see that version because I just want to see what was left. Yeah. What is left in the movie at that point since uh, more than half of it has been cut out. So, the studios always fought with the length of this movie and always thought it was a little bit overlong, but the director, David Lean, was always insistent that it should be its original length, and in fact, I saw a longer version. So, the version I watched had a few more scenes in it, like nothing too- well, not really scenes, I wouldn't say scenes, had a few more shots in it, and uh, yeah, it added a few elements to the movie that I suppose wasn't there in the original, but we can discuss it as we go. So- Let's talk about the movie itself. So, of course, we've got the character, the main character, Peter O'Toole. He plays the main character, T.E. Lawrence. Well, this isn't the first Peter O'Toole movie I've seen, but this is certainly oh, really? the youngest I've ever seen him in a movie. Should we just run through all the actors before we dive into the plot? Yeah, sure. Just to help people. Uh, next up, playing the character of Prince Faisal was Alec Guinness, of course. The I think the youngest I've ever seen him in a movie. No, actually, I saw him in The Lady Killers before this, which came out in the 50s. This was 62. Yeah. And in all the production material that I read for the movie, apparently when Alec Guinness showed up on set dressed as, you know, Prince Faisal, <laughs> the director didn't recognize him. This is like, really? <laughs> you don't say. This yeah. is just Alec Guinness in brown face. Yes, I think this is a good point. And he sounds exactly the same. To talk about this a little bit, because I did say this to you in private. I said, this is a good movie, but you need to be aware it's a movie of its time, as you knew yeah. already. Now, this yeah, movie- course. You're going to yeah. take everything with a grain of salt because 90% of the cast is people playing Arabs in brown face. Yeah. 
And it's the whole story of, it's very old fashioned now of like the white saviour coming in and doing what the natives can't do. Yeah, it's it's very, yeah, it, 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 at and times- it's, it's about it's, pro-colonisation as it's well. It's very disrespectful to, yeah, to, to anyone who's not white, essentially. Yes. But you gotta you got to go into this movie with that kind of- Grain of salt. I well, I, I felt I because I was I was expecting them to be you know the, the the savage you know Arabs you know what I mean but they actually painted them in a, a positive light, relatively positive, relatively yeah. positive. So I was like, oh, didn't expect that. Except the, for the fact that they weren't capable of achieving anything until Lawrence came along and helped them out, and then they were basically like, Lawrence, we need you to help us out with our whole revolution. Yeah, but then Lawrence ultimately like destroyed them. as yeah, well. Yeah, he ultimately let them down, but that's what happened in real life. So they've got to be accurate. So the next up, an actual. An actual Arabic person playing an Arabic character, Omar Sharif, who, of course, is Egyptian. He played Sharif Ali. He must have been confused on set, you know, given that his fake name and his real name, his character name and his real name were so similar. How good was he? He was my favourite character in the he movie. He was so fantastic. He was so captivating. I think probably one of the best actors in the yeah. movie, too. He was really yeah. good. So, yeah, he was, like, my favourite standout character to me. I liked him better than uh, Lawrence himself. And the last person I want to mention playing the character of Tayir is Anthony Quinn, who, of course, is a Mexican actor. He was another one where the director was like, when he turned up on set, I'm like, who's this guy? I don't recognise him at all. Let's get him to play Tayir instead of uh, Anthony Quinn. But of course, it was Anthony Quinn. I was like, okay, he's just Anthony Quinn in brown face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't recognize him. I think they're just saying that, you know. Probably. I think that's just a story. Maybe they did like the thing of like when a child turns up in a Halloween costume, you're like, oh, is that really Spider-Man? <laughs> I can't believe Spider-Man's here at my party. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about the plot very briefly because it is an almost four-hour movie and there's so much stuff we could cover in this story. But let's just cover the most important bits and then we can just really, well, I guess I'll break down my thoughts on it afterwards. So, uh, the movie is broken up into two halves and it's separated by an intermission, which I fast forwarded through. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised if you did the same. That would actually have been a good point. So, I actually watched this movie in one sitting, started it relatively early on in the evening and essentially <laughs> finished it right before bed. But yeah, I didn't break it up like you, but the intermission would have been a good point, I think, to break it up and then watch it as sort of like two two-hour movies. I feel like that I, would have been an interesting I, jumping I, I point. I feel but it works that way. I watch everything in one sitting, though, unless it's something ridiculous. You are long. a madman, sir. Can't well, you saw this if I went sitting. to saw it in the cinema, like it was Avengers uh, Infinity War or Endgame or something, I wouldn't have the opportunity to break it up, would I? So, I had to no. take the experience. I had to take it all as one experience. Right. Because otherwise, I wouldn't be able to judge it fairly, essentially. In my opinion, anyway. Like, I have to have the movie as a whole piece in, uh, in order to, you know, be able to assess it as, like, a, a full story. If I didn't have the time, I'd probably break it up. But because I had the time, I watched it all in one sitting. So, the movie opens up very interestingly because uh, it actually opens up with Lawrence dying. He's riding like a madman down a highway on a motorcycle. And then some, like, cyclists come over the hill and he has to swerve out of the way and ends up swerving off the road and dying. Yeah, he's like Toad and Toad Hall. Yeah, exactly. Except, you know, I wish Toad would die. <laughs> yeah, me too. And Lawrence actually died. So, this is actually how T.E. Lawrence died in real life. And we see his funeral... We see people walking out of the funeral and the press are trying to, like, get some hot quotes from people mm. who might have known him to get, like, an idea of what his character was like. And there's sort of, like, a mixed sort of opinion of what he was like. Some soldiers like, oh, he was a fool. And another guy was like, what are you talking about? He was a respectable soldier. I sort of knew him. I met him one time because I slapped him in the face. Spoilers <laughs> for later in the movie. Yes! And the journalists don't really have, like, a clear idea of who this person is. So, then we flash back all the way to the sort of middle years or is it the early years of World War One? I think it's... Just yeah. for context, he dies in about 1932. I think it's early years. And so, yeah, we jump back to the early years of World War One, where Lawrence is sort of known as a, yeah, I guess, a quirky soldier. 
That's one way of putting it. So he's known for not really following orders, and I think they just want to get him out of Cairo. I don't know why they wanted him to go. Well, he actually had knowledge. This isn't something they covered in the movie, but he actually had knowledge of Arabia, what the the region was known as at the time. They just referred to it as Arabia, but that was basically, what was it? What were the countries? It's like Syria, or Iraq, that sort of area. Yeah. I'm sorry if I'm not being accurate with the countries here, but they didn't really clearly label it in the movie. But he had spent years before World War I uh, doing archaeological studies in the region. So, he was already fluent in the Arabic languages. He already knew the area somewhat. Like I said, they didn't cover this in the movie. But that's the reason why they sent him over there, because they wanted him to go up and meet with Prince Faisal, because Prince Faisal's people were staging a sort of like a rebellion against the Turkish soldiers at that time. So, of course, England was at war with Turkey, World War I, of course, at this point. And Turkey had control of Arabia, as they called it at the time. And so, they want Lawrence to go over there, assess how their, their push is going against the Turks, as in the, the Arabs push against the Turks at the time, and just report back just to give them an idea, the British idea of, you know, how they can hold position in that country, or essentially how they can take it over for themselves. So, if they get on the Arabs' good side, then that can help them take over the country and get a better standing in the war overall. Yeah. Am I being accurate yeah, so far? Yeah, yeah, So, Lawrence goes over there with a guide, and when they're drinking from a well, uh, we're introduced to Ali, Sharif Ali, who yeah. turns up and kills <laughs> Lawrence's guide. It's a sacred well. Because it was his well that he was drinking out of. He's just like, no one else is allowed to drink out of it but me. And Lawrence is pretty upset by this because he was like, hey, this is my buddy. I gave him a knife or he gave me a knife. Yeah. And I gave him a gun. But yeah, and then, of course, Ali just takes the gun, takes the water and says, all right, see you later. <laughs> it's interesting because this guy is set up to be a bad guy. Yeah, that's right. Like, oh, these guys are going to have it off. And the whole reason that Ali killed uh, Lawrence's guide was because he was from a different tribe of Arabs in the region. Yeah. And Lawrence shouts after Ali. He goes, as he's walking off into the distance, he's just like, you realize if you Arabs keep fighting each other, you're never going to be able to progress as a people. Oh, man. <laughs> the white savior. Yeah, exactly. So, he ends up meeting- So, Lawrence ends up traveling to some city. I don't know what city it is. He ends up meeting with Alec Guinness's character, Prince Faisal. And Prince Faisal recently suffered a loss from uh, the Turks, and so he's not quite sure how to regroup. So, the Turks have a city which is by the coast, which is impenetrable from the sea. So, Lawrence basically says, you realize that I could take 50 of your, your best men. We can travel across the desert for hundreds and hundreds of miles, essentially, and invade the city, the coastal city from the rear. And they'd never see that coming, and we'd have the perfect situation to just take it over. Yeah, but it's a deadly desert and everyone thinks he's crazy. Yeah, it's a deadly desert and everyone thinks it's such a dumb idea, but he's just like, you know, you got to trust me. We can do it. If we take the resources with us, we can we can sort it out. The, there's the British government, the the army sort of has a representative there who's just like, well, that's a terrible idea. Poo Don't do everything. it. Yeah. But Lawrence just does it anyway. He just takes uh, he takes Ali and 50 men and they travel across the desert. Yeah. Did you like the Kieran and Matty D characters? I was going to say, uh, at this point in the movie, we're also introduced to, uh, I think their names were, oh, what was it? I can't remember their names. Uh, Dowd and Farage were the, the names. They were two sort of like teenage kids. They're introduced like, they're asking for cigarettes. And, the, and the, one of the British soldiers is just like, he gives them like the empty packet and smokes his last cigarette and it's like, ha ha, fuck you guys. And then to get back at him, they like stick a stick up a camel's ass to make it go crazy. <laughs> And I'm like, wow, what a great way to introduce these two characters. I love these characters. They're and, a highlight for Yeah, me. these two kids, they end up uh, becoming Lawrence's servants. They basically are like, if you pay me, you know, if you pay us like a couple of bucks a day, we'll be your servants for the whole trip. And Lawrence is like, yeah, that sounds like a good deal to me. And yeah, they essentially start traveling along their way. 
And while they're traveling, one of the men, I think his name was Gassim, is that correct? He ends up falling off his camel because he falls asleep. And uh, he ends up getting stranded in the desert because he wakes up yes. in the middle yeah. of the night in the desert. And he's just like, what the hell? And they don't realize that he's lost until they've like settled to camp. And they're like, oh, Gassim, he's about you know a day's ride back in the other direction. We don't have enough water to go back and rescue him. But Lawrence is like, no, no way. We're not leaving him behind. I'm going to travel back. And if you don't see me, you know that I'm fucked. So, you know, continue on without me. But the the Arabs, they don't really want to travel on without him because they're like, well, it's not really our cause, but eh, it's for the greater good. But then, of course, Lawrence returns triumphant with Gassim under his arm, essentially. He's like, look who I found bumming around in the yeah, desert. It took him a little while to get there. There was like a, a struggle. Yeah, it was a couple of days, but he made it back and everyone was happy to see him. They're like, oh, thank you so much for rescuing Gassim. And they travel on along their journey. There's this four, this by the way, this takes up about two hours of the movie. So a good solid hour of the movie is just them literally strolling through the desert yeah. on camelback. And there's a point where like Lawrence is like drifting off to sleep, and uh, Ali you were too. And while well, I was getting there, but Ali like kept whipping him with a big stick, going, "You're drifting, you're drifting." <laughs> and then anytime like I felt like I was drifting off to sleep, I'd whack myself and go, "Oh, you're drifting." And I think at this point in the movie, they were also testing Lawrence, right? Though, because he, right. he wanted to prove that he could live. That's the right. Way. They didn't have a lot of respect for him until he rescues Gassim from the mm. desert. Then they're like, "All right, he's a great guy. He's really proved himself, and he's proven that you know not everything is set in stone." Uh, history isn't written. They keep saying it's not written. You know, yes. not everything is up to destiny. We can write our own destiny, and that's how we're going to be victorious. Because he, as as well as a movie based in the sixties can do, tries to adopt their life and their customs. That's right. So he puts on their clothes. He puts yep. on their garb. He no longer wears boots. I think it's insinuated more, he that he's becomes, speaking their language, yeah. but because it's a movie in the sixties, everyone's speaking English. Yeah. But he he becomes more. He becomes less Westerner, or he that's right to be. That's right. And that sort of becomes a point later on in the movie. Yeah. So they end up, the 50 men end up teaming up with another tribe of Arab people. This one led by Anthony Quinn's character, Tayyir. And I, I think they're sort of at odds. They're sort of two tribes who are at odds because they don't really seem to get along. And they're like, all right, we'll team up with you because we want to get to that city as well, that Turkish controlled city. We want to claim that back for our people. Yeah, because it's not. It, yeah, it's it's sort of like they're working together, but I think this guy is a particularly. He's he's very um he's very stubborn. That's right. right. Tell you. So, you know, it's his way or no way. You know. That's right. That's and the like I, I said, the fifty men from Faisal's kingdom don't really seem to get along with Tayir's people. Yeah, and this ends up resulting in an argument where one of uh, Tayir's men is shot. And it looks like the whole expedition is going to have to be called off because, you know, they can't travel together with this dispute. So, they're going to have to kill the person responsible. As in, Tayir's men are going to have to kill one of Lawrence's men who's responsible. And if that happens, it's yep. going to start a blood pact between them and they won't be able to work together. So, Lawrence is just like, look, if I kill the person responsible, if I kill my own man who is responsible, you guys won't have any issues. And they both agree. They Both sides say, yeah, that's fine. Because he's, he's, he's not on any side, so... Justice That's is right. served, but it's not served by either party. So it's not like That's you right. killed my man, you killed my man. That's right. And so they bring the accused man forward, and it turns out to be, of course, Gassim, mm -hmm. who was stranded in the desert the man before. He saved. And, he, and he risked and he risked his own life to go and save him. And then Lawrence, of course, is like, Oh shit, Gassim, <laughs> what are you doing? And then he ends up like he ends up emptying like his whole pistol into him. He and shoots was, him six was, times. That was shocking, right? Because you kind of think at this point in the movie, oh, you, he's gonna work out a way to save him. Nope. And he doesn't, he kills him. So and the mission's more important, and Lawrence just fucking <laughs> fills him full of bullets. And it's very because you get so invested in this guy. And, and Lawrence traveling to save him, and you're like, oh, hooray. Speak for yourself, but yeah. Uh, well, okay, maybe not. It was only in like two scenes of a four hour movie. But then it turns out that, you know, it was a waste of time the entire. Yeah. The entire experience going and saving him just to kill him. 
That's right. So, they end up raiding the city from the rear, as was the plan, this Turkish city. And then because of this, they catch them by surprise. Because they've teamed up, they've got uh, Lawrence's 50 men plus an entire tribe of Tayyir's people. They end up raiding the coastal village and are successful. We have my favourite shot in the whole movie where uh, (laughs) Lawrence rides his camel along the beach in the sunset. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a spectacular shot. In fact, most of the movie is made up of spectacular shots. So when uh, Ali is first introduced, we just see like his silhouette in the in the distance, and I feel like it takes like ten minutes in the movie of him <laughs> just riding closer and closer and closer and closer, and then he's introduced by shooting <laughs> Lawrence's uh, guide. Yeah. And then we have this big uh, long shot of them raiding the the coastal city, and so we just see the whole takeover from like one big long shot where the camera's parked up on a mountain. We see them ride into the town in their camels and horses. And then just decimate everybody. And then Lawrence relaxes by taking a nice stroll on the beach. Essentially, he's like, all right, cool. We're going to have to travel back and tell England that I've taken over this city essentially by myself. Of course, with the help of several hundred Arabs. And so, I'll take my two assistants, Farage and Dowd, back across the day. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, during the trip back, Dowd uh, ends up getting sucked into quicksand. They try and rescue him, but it's it's no good. He gets sucked in. And uh, both uh, Farage and Lawrence are pretty traumatized by this. They end up wandering back into, like, the Cairo uh, British headquarters. And, uh, of course, um, Lawrence is in traditional Arabic garb and he's joined by Farage and they just wander and everyone's like, what the hell are you doing here, Arabic man? <laughs> Not yeah. realizing that it's Lawrence. So, he goes through this period as well where he, everybody he's responsible for, everybody he cares for is dying and he kind of, like, right. almost feels it's his fault. But That's this right. This scene that you're talking about, he goes into, like, the British headquarters uh, space and- he demands a drink and he demands that Farage be allowed in there, even yes. though no one wants to let them in. Because they give him a drink. They think he's weird because he's dressed like, you know, an, yeah, Arab, an Arab. So they're just like, what are you doing? And then they realize it's it's Lawrence and they're like, oh, okay, well, that's that's weird. And he's like, I've taken over this this city over here. And they're like, no, you haven't. <laughs> he's like, I have. But yeah, I don't know. It, and then and then he demands that, you know, he's, he's part and of By the way, the whole reason that he has to travel all the way back to Cairo is because the first thing that uh, Tayir does when they when they take over the town is like he smashes all of their communications. <laughs> and so Lawrence is like, well, I've got no way of letting them know that I've arrived safely <laughs> and taken it over. So I'm going to have to travel back in person to let them know. Mm. Before this half of the movie wraps up, Lawrence basically confesses to his commanding officer. He's like, well, I let two people die. I actually killed a man. But the problem is that uh, I I actually really enjoyed killing that guy. And the <laughs> and his commanding officer is like, don't worry about it. That's all part of the experience. <laughs> That's essentially where this half of the movie ends. And in the second half of the movie, we come back and Lawrence is now like working guerrilla okay. tactics with the Arabs. Can I, can I ask a question? And feel free sure. not to answer it because, of course, you're going to go into your opinions of the movie. But in the intermission space, were you wanting to keep watching or were you just kind of like, eh? Absolutely not. I was like, uh, if the movie finished now, I'd be completely content. I'd be like, that's a whole story. Yep. Uh, I couldn't imagine what was going to happen in the next two hours of the movie. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know. Like, everything that I thought was going to happen in the movie Happens. happened already. Yep. And I'm like, I couldn't see, unless, like, it was going to be completely turned on its head. And, you know, they'd suddenly go on in a quest to find, like, a, a sacred gem or something like that and be like an Indiana Jones fun adventure. I was like, I cannot see this movie improving from this point or having anything different to say. But the movie does start, to its credits with something almost completely different. He's now a guerrilla soldier, so Lawrence is now working with the Arabs to take on guerrilla tactics with defeating the Turks. So, the Turks have supply trains that uh, Lawrence and his, his buddies are blowing up. 
So the the movie basically, well, the second half of the movie basically starts with uh, them just blowing up trains, trains and it's a completely yeah. different vibe. They're going in there like ruthlessly killing people. And Lawrence says, you know, if any of our men get injured, we basically execute them on the spot because if they're captured by the Turks, we know that they're going to torture them tortured, yeah. in brutal ways. So it's almost like a mercy kill. And they've also got this journalist, this American photojournalist with what them at this point. Oh, yeah. Annoying, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess he was supposed to be annoying, but he was just there to take photos. And yeah. uh, at this point, Lawrence sort of sees himself as sort of like this this god. Well, or yeah, like Jesus. Basically like he's, Jesus. He starts dressing and acting like a god. And I think he thinks he's, he's wearing all water. white while everyone else is wearing dark colors. Yeah. And there's a, there's a bit where they, they take over a train, like they blow up a train and he stands up on top of the train, like sort of chanting, you know, victory cries to the whole Arabic army. And one of the Turkish soldiers is still alive and he shoots at Lawrence. And Lawrence is sort of like looking around going like, oh, his bullets can't touch me. Mm. And the bullet grazes his shoulder and he's, he's not really hurt. And he sort of has this opinion where he's just like, well, I can't be touched. I'm invincible at this point. No one can defeat me. And so he's got this really lofty opinion of himself. Yeah. And they, they continue on raiding these, these trains. And then, unfortunately, Farage, his other teenager little assistant, gets injured because he, he blows himself up, essentially. <laughs> And so he unfortunately has to shoot Farage in the head, which of course is a little bit of a blow to Lawrence's ego. So there's this town that the Arabs want to take over. And of course, Lawrence sees himself as a god at this point. So he's just like, you know what? Ali, come with me. We're going to go do some reconnaissance in the town. He marches through the town. He walks through the town completely undisguised because he's just like, I am untouchable at this point and no one can hurt me. No one can do anything to me. (laughs) Ali is like, what the hell are you doing, Lawrence? You're going to get caught. And he's just like, we will not. (laughs) So they're just strolling through this... (laughs) this Turkish occupied town and then instantly like everyone in the town is just staring at Lawrence because he stands out like a sore thumb and these Turkish soldiers walk past him and Lawrence is like don't worry just keep walking they're not going to spot us and they instantly like turn and look at Lawrence's face and like hey you're Lawrence you're Lawrence and they capture him and Lawrence is like yeah don't worry about it so they take him into this room they undress him and they they uh this bit is very weird because I guess they're Rushing over what yeah happened. So yeah. essentially, what happens is uh, Lawrence attempts to fight back, and they start beating him. And then hours later, they throw him out in the street, and uh, Ali sort of scoops him up. But what's insinuated here is that they sexually assault yes. him. Yes, which I think he spoke about in the book. In the he? book, he said that they sexually assaulted, and him. they don't really go into it. But it's a very weird. It's a very weird scene because they don't go there completely. But it's very no. Well, they they sort of can't. That's yeah. the thing. So. The British government themselves, when they were sort of like reflecting on the book, so they basically were like, oh, everything in the book is accurate, except for the part where he said he was sexually assaulted. That's not true. Yeah. Because the idea back, of course, in, you know, World War One days was just like, well, our, our highly acclaimed war heroes can't, can't have like- be, uh- Can't even be accused of, because uh, I don't think it's any secret, but Lawrence himself was actually thought to be homosexual. And they didn't want any sort of insinuations that he might be, you know, homosexual- getting out to the public. So they're like, oh, when he was sexually assaulted, that didn't actually happen. Everything else he said was true, but that didn't happen. Even though it was like other people doing it to him, they didn't like the idea of their decorated war heroes having that sort of like, uh, I guess, unchristian image about them. So they they didn't want to, you know, really touch on it in the movie, though I thought they did a good job insinuating it in the movie. Well, it's definitely there. It's definitely a weird, uncomfortable scene, and it's yes. like, it only happens for a moment. But I love the bit when they're, they're whipping him, they're torturing him, and yeah. then the, the Turkish bay is sort of, like, standing in the doorway watching. Like, he's in the next room, sort of, like, standing, looking through, like, a slightly ajar door at what's going on. It's really creepy, right? Yeah. It's really unsettling. 
Yeah, and then from this point onwards, Lawrence is a very different person. So this whole experience deeply disturbs Lawrence and he becomes very much a different man. He's not the like godlike figure that he once thought he was. And essentially he's like, fuck this, I'm going home. <laughs> and so he goes back to Cairo and he's like he stops wearing his Arabic garb and he starts wearing like regular British soldier garb. And he's just like hanging around going, hey, guys, what are you guys up to? Can I hang out with you guys? Hey, cool. Yeah. And everyone's just like, hey, you've, do- you've done a great job. And he's like, oh, you're shucks. So <laughs> don't worry about that. And then, of course, the, the British commanders are like, hey, Lawrence, we need you to go get your Arabic friends, muster them up and uh, help take over this other city. This big city will help us like completely reclaim Turkey from everybody else. And Lawrence, of course, is like, no way. No way am I going back out in the field you can forget about. And they're like, come on, please. And he's just like, all right, but as long as I can do it my way. And they're like, you can do it your way. It's worked for us so far. You can do it any way you like. So he ends up hiring all of these assassins that the, the Arabs don't respect at all. Because yes. why did he do that? I never really um, understood why he decided to hire there these was, assassins. There was a, a reason. He, he got the people that were all outcasts. Yeah, that's right. They're all murderers. Yeah. And there was a specific reason he did that, but I can't remember why he did that. But I remember, like, people, were, people weren't happy about it. I think the reason he did it, this is just pure speculation, but that's, I guess that's what this whole show is about. <laughs> Doesn't look so good when we're actually reviewing a, an yes. established movie with law. Um, I think the reason he did it was so he could surround himself with people he didn't actually care about. So if they died or got injured along the way, he wouldn't be upset by it. Because he lost too many people he liked. And so if he surrounded himself, if, if his closest allies essentially were these murderers and these people who are in it for money rather than the Arabic cause, he won't care so much if they die. Hmm. That's my theory. Maybe, anyway. maybe. There was a reason I can't remember. But Ali is there and he's just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what the hell are you? And, and the whole time the Arabs are like, are you sure we're not just taking over this town so the British can take control of it? And Lawrence is just like, Mwah. I won't say yes, I won't say no. <laughs> so, of course, they end up, as they, in their typical fashion, they end up, uh, well, they head over to take control of this town. But on their way, they find like a whole troop of, uh, they come across this whole group of retreating Turkish soldiers. And because these Turkish soldiers massacred a few, like, villages where some of the men are from, uh, they decide to, like, ride against the Turkish soldiers and essentially they just slaughter them. And Lawrence takes great pleasure in going around, like, killing unarmed people. It's essentially all of these soldiers are just, you know, they're just strolling along unarmed, going back to where they came from. And then uh, Lawrence and his men just ride in and massacre them. Yeah. And this is where a few of the extended shots that I mentioned before came in because you get to see Lawrence just, like, basically point blank executing people with a gun. Then we must have watched the same copy because that's what I yeah. thought too. And he ends up, like, covered with blood. So yeah. Lawrence's white robes are covered with blood and he's got, like, this bloody handprint so on his chest. He kind of crazy. Yeah, that's right. And Ali's, like, trying to stop him and trying to stop everyone. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you massacring these people? Just let them go. But Lawrence, you know, won't hear it and he just kills everybody. And then afterwards, we understand that Lawrence feels bad about it. And, yeah, they end up taking over the city. None of this is really super important to the movie. So... Once they take over the city, the British swoop in and essentially shut off all of their resources. They shut off their water. They shut off their power. They shut off their telecommunications. And so the Arabs have, like, nothing in the city. They're sort of just left sitting in the dark, twirling their thumbs. And they're like, screw this. And they end up leaving. And, of course, the British end up taking ultimate control of this city, which they all fought. So they essentially just tricked the Arabs into taking it over for the British because it worked so well for Lawrence in the past. And so at this point, the British are like, well done, Lawrence. We don't need you anymore. We're going to promote you to, what was it? Was he a commander or a corporal? They they give him like a high ranking promotion and they're like, all right, let's on your bike. Ooh, bad choice of words. <laughs> uh, let's send you back to England and you can live the rest of your days in happy, easy desk work. And Lawrence is like, all right, I guess I'll go home now. And so we have this final shot where Lawrence is sitting in a truck 
And the last thing we see is like a motorcycle zips past uh, Lawrence going in the other direction and Lawrence sort of looks at it and that's where the movie ends. Looks at it longingly. Longing. That's right. Yeah. And so that was Lawrence of Arabia. So, of course, you know, we're to understand that he, he wants the thrills of the, this excitement in Arabia again in the future, so which is why he takes up motorcycle riding, which he saw for the first time overseas during this moment. He tries to chase that sort of high of um, the excitement of riding into battle again by speeding down the highway really yeah. fast on his motorbike, which ultimately ends up killing him. Uh, what did you think? Because you didn't really talk too much about it when they started to form government and the government was kind of breaking down. Well, that so, was sort of yeah. that was kind of the tail end of the movie. They that was sort of, of ushered along by the British government's yeah. sort of involvement in uh, cutting off their resources. They, they kind of won. They kind of took over, and everyone became like it became bureaucracy. That's right. And they had this whole all thing the Arabs about, like, that is so yes. Tayyir and Ali. They both take over the different facets of the city. So Tayyir has the phones, the telecommunications, while uh, while I think uh, Ali had control of the electricity, but since both were shut down by the British, they couldn't do anything with yeah. it, and so they just sort of devolved into arguing. This was in the last 20 minutes of the movie, so I was very much clock-watching yeah, at this right, point. Okay. I was like, oh, we're almost done! We're <laughs> almost we done! I think of all the moments to, to really focus on in the movie, I think the sort of Arab government falling apart, you know, their sort of set-up yeah. makeshift Arab, Arab government falling apart wasn't like a, a standout moment for me sure. or something that I really focused in on. I kind of I kind of liked it because you, you were with these characters all the way and they were kind of warriors and then they took over and then it just, they became kind of different people. They started That's fighting right. with each other and they have that great line where he's just like- War's a young man's game, but, you know, bureaucracy and government, that's an old man's game. That's right. Which I kind of like that. Yeah, there was a lot of good stuff like that in there. Um, so that's a movie you compacted so that was the movie. all. So, I've got Packed to say- a four-hour movie. Yeah, that's right. So, I've got to say that the the first half of the movie, I did not like at all. Yeah. There was not a moment- Well, there was a few moments in there that I liked, a few characters in there that I liked, as I already mentioned. But it was literally the movie that I imagined in my head the movie was going to be. Yeah. And everything that I was avoiding about the movie was like all my worst fears were realized about okay. watching the movie in that first hour. But the second hour, I've got to say, right at the start when they started the guerrilla warfare tactics. But the, yeah, the second two hours of the movie, I, I liked a lot more. I thought there was a lot more interesting stuff going on in there. And there was a lot more stuff that, that made me, you know, sit up and pay attention. Uh, and just overall, I think it was a much more exciting movie in the second half than the first half. And it sort of trails off towards the end once they've sort of wrapped up everything and sort of um, falling the government, as you said, and then Lawrence mm. is heading home. Like, it slowed down a little bit there. And Lawrence isn't so heroic in the second That's act, right. Which is, which is I, I don't know, more Well, fun. he's very much like at his peak at the very start of the yes. second act. But then it's sort of like the first half is his rise to stardom and then the second half he's at the top and then it's his fall down to the bottom. Yeah. And I very much like the, the him, he's at the top and then him falling down. Now, here's the thing. I didn't like the first half of the movie, but the second half of the movie, which I did like, doesn't work if you haven't seen the first half of the movie. So, it's not like you can start at the intermission <laughs> and enjoy the experience. So, the second half is sort of like the payoff for the first half. Everything they built up in the first half was the payoff for the second half. And so, ultimately, uh, would I ever watch this movie again? Absolutely not. Uh -huh. I found it a very sort of exhausting experience, especially watching the whole thing in, in one go. Uh, I can see why it's considered one of the best movies ever made. I don't think we mentioned that earlier, but this movie is considered one of the best movies ever made. Uh, I think all of the acting was pretty good, pretty good performances. I think the standout, of course, was Omar Sharif. Absolutely. Of course, followed by Peter O'Toole. Uh, how can you go wrong with those two? 
Alec Guinness, I don't know why they're like, oh, he's so good in they this movie. They praise Alec Guinness a lot. And it's really hard for us All to All he watch. does is turn up and go like, hello there. <laughs> he's, he's, he's Obi-Wan. Yes. Um, it's very hard he's to- Obi-Wan in brown face. It's very hard to watch this movie. It's very hard to watch that performance because it is racist. Like, they, Yeah. You know, of course, this was the 60s. This you know. was the norm at the time. Uh, so, it's it's at the time, his performance won awards. People were talking about That's Alec right. Guinness in this in And this he's movie. listed as one of the top actors as well. Even though he's in the movie a hell of a lot less than Omar Sharif. It's, I guess it's a good performance. It's just hard to watch. Yeah. Circumstance wise. Yeah. 2022, it's hard to watch. So, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of good moments in it, but it's really not the movie for me. Like, I really don't like this type of movie. And I don't don't think I ever want to see like a wandering around in the desert movie ever again. So, I won't be watching the sequel starring Ray Fiennes that was released in 1990. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a good cast, though. If I was going to cast Lawrence, I'd cast Ray Yeah, Lawrence. well, you can go and watch that movie and tell me what you think of it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I- I'll leave that one strictly for you. Mm. And so, I- I've got to say, Porco Rosso's climbing in a steam. <laughs> can if I, I was s- going to watch Porco Rosso or Lawrence of Arabia, I'm going to watch Porco <laughs> Rosso two times again before I ever think about watching Lawrence of Arabia again. Can I say as well, like, I agree with you, I wouldn't watch Lawrence of Arabia again. Either. Oh, good. Um, oh, good. But at least not for a so- very long time. Bridge Over River Kwai and Dr. Zhivago are also two classic movies that everyone raves about. I never want to watch them. And I think this movie is like cemented. What, what are they called again? Let me write these down. Bridge Over River Kwai and Dr. Next, Zhivago. Uh, next make us I've also never episode. seen Titanic because I know exactly what that movie is going to be. What? And really? It's too long. Yes, that's right. I never knew you haven't seen Titanic. Yeah, I well, I, you I'm, watch not, that. I'm not going to enjoy it either way. Yeah, that's no, the thing. That'd be funny. <laughs> yeah, it's not funny when you're sitting there for four hours on a Thursday afternoon. Yeah. But yes, so look, th- that's that's fair. I I didn't think you would like it, but it has interesting parts in it. Well, I think an even reminds greater- me of Star Wars every once in a while. Yeah, especially when Alec Guinness is there doing <laughs> yes. his Obi Wan voice. But yeah, I think an even greater mystery lies in what Matty D's thoughts on Congo were, and how the hell we're going to compare a movie like Congo to Lawrence of Arabia. So wow, should we get into what that a movie? Uh, yes, let's talk about Congo. So this is a movie. So I- let me do a little bit of background sure. on it first Go before you dive into it, because I, I just want to get my history out of the way first and why I picked it for you to watch, just like we did with Lawrence of Arabia. So of course, Congo came out in 1995 and was directed by Frank Marshall, who also directed Arachnophobia. Oh, good, you're covering this great. Are you familiar with that uh, movie? Yeah, we had an old podcast partner that really loved that movie and it never appealed to me at all. So you never saw it? No. Okay. It was just a movie about uh, spiders of oh, varying sizes. I know. <laughs> attacking uh, a family. I know. And uh, John Goodman was in it. <laughs> yes. So I must have written it. So anyway, <laughs> uh, Frank Marshall also directed the movie Alive, if you're familiar with that one at all. That's the one about the football team whose plane crashes in the snow. And they're forced to eat each other to survive. It was a true story as well. <laughs> as well, like arachnophobia is a true story. <laughs> oh, heaven forbid, Congo is a true story. I meant like Lawrence of Arabia, it's a true story. But anyway, Frank Marshall, by the way, is better known for being a producer. He produced movies like Raiders of the Last Dark, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Hook. So he's very much in the Bob. like Steven Spielberg sort of well, which is why they brought him in to direct this very Steven Spielberg-esque, dare I say, blockbuster very much attempting to follow in the footsteps of Jurassic Park. So, of course, Jurassic Park came out in 1993. Maddie D's firing his brows because he's not seeing a lot of connection between Jurassic Park and this movie. But, of course, they were like, man, Jurassic Park is really hot right now. Let's get another book by Michael Crichton and adapt that to the big screen. So, of course, Michael Crichton, one of his uh, unproduced scripts was Congo. I think he turned it into a book in the 80s. But uh, Michael Crichton actually wrote this as a movie before it was ever a book. And he was set to direct it in 1980. He wanted Sean Connery to play the uh, the big game hunter role, the Captain Monroe Kelly role that uh, Ernie Hudson played in the movie. I mean, I could see it. 
And so that character was written for Sean Connery, and he wanted to use real gorillas. So his whole stipulation was Wait, like- Wait, they didn't use real gorillas? No, they didn't. They ended up using like a uh, <laughs> animatronic. <What>? <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. But uh, so his whole thing was like, I'll only make the movie if I get to use real gorillas. And of course, the producers were like, absolutely not. First of all, gorillas are an endangered species. Second of all, they're extremely dangerous. While they're more docile than chimpanzees, which as we learnt from uh, watching Nope, can be extremely dangerous in filming situations. Gorillas can probably do more damage to your expensive actors than a, you know, a chimpanzee would. Well, that's up for debate anyway. But yeah, they didn't want to have that risk. So they're like, you're absolutely not using real gorillas. So he's like, fuck this. And he walked away. He quit the project. <laughs> and it ended up being picked up. Uh, let's see, 15 years later by Frank Marshall. And yeah, so my history with it, uh, it was a movie I'd always heard about and I'd always heard it was bad. So I remember the buzz around it when I was a kid. I think there was like a Pizza Hut tie-in or something, like you could go get Congo glasses. I remember there being like a Congo watch you could get back in the 90s. This summer at Congo the movie, you'll join an expedition that will test the height of technology and the depths of human courage. What you find will amaze you. You'll discover the legendary taste of Taco Bell. And while you're there, get three exciting Congo the Movie collector's watches. Just $1.49 each with any food purchase. But hurry, they're an endangered species. It was a movie that, like, my parents never took me to see it, so I had no interest in it. Didn't certainly have the same hype as Jurassic Park. But yeah, they were really banking on this movie to be the next big movie like Jurassic Park. And so, like, I'd heard about it, but never seen it. And then one afternoon, I was actually sent home work sick. Believe it or not, just this is a quick side note. Uh, one of the people I worked with, they actually thought had uh, meningitis. Oh, okay. And I had been working closely with them. So, they're like, you better go home and quarantine yourself because you may have meningitis. Thankfully, it was a false alarm. But in the time that I was at home, sort of feeling a little bit blue, uh, not sure if I had meningitis or not. <laughs> I said, oh, you what's on? Congo? I was like, well, what do they have on like, what, you know, what do they have on the streaming services this afternoon? So I popped, this was back in about 2012. Uh, and so I, I popped on Congo because it was the first one that came up. And I was just like, I've always heard about this movie. I'll give it a go. And I ended up watching it. I ended up in a weird way, really enjoying the movie. And I was, let me just tell you, I was laughing from start to finish. There was a lot of laughter had. And then it sort of became like a yearly tradition that I'll have a few drinks and then put on Congo, <laughs> especially with people who hadn't seen it before. And just we'll just sit around and laugh at it and have a good time. I don't know if that was the actual intention of the filmmakers, but we'll, I guess we'll discuss it as we go. So when it came time to decide for me for a movie for you to watch this week, Matty D., I was just like, I could pick a movie that I think is really good, that is underrated, that I don't think Matty D has seen, or I could pick another <laughs> movie that could go either way for Matty D. He could either really hate it or really like it, but either way, I think it'll be a fun time and a fun discussion, so that's why I ended up picking it for you. Interesting. I wondered why you picked this movie for me, to be honest. I was like, <laughs> okay, right. Because I thought it was similar to Lawrence of Arabia. Of That's course. Like I knew that you were going to pick that in advance. Of course. So, did you want me to quickly run through the cast of characters yeah, before I, we get into it? I think we should because this... Firstly, I'll say right off the movie, this was a nostalgia trip just through the cast list. Oh, because, man. Because this was like a who's who of like 90s actors. Yes. Everybody was here. Absolutely. And so, of course... Uh, I don't know why she's credited first, but probably because she was the biggest name and had the most screen time. Playing the character of Karen Ross is Laura Linney, of course, best known for playing the wife on The Truman Show. Yep. If you can name another movie in her with That it. was what I was thinking. She was around a lot in the 90s. She did a lot of stuff, but Truman was what I remember. Yeah, that's from. right. 
So next up, playing the character of Peter Elliott. I have no idea why this character wasn't played by uh, Bruce Campbell, but we can get into that in a little bit was Dylan Walsh, who was best known for being on TV at the time. He's never done any notable movies, so I don't know why they cast him as this, like, soggy white bread character. Best known for being a waste of time! Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And wanting to fuck a gorilla. Moving on, next, playing the the character of Captain Monroe Kelly, probably easily the the most charming character in the movie. Oh, God, yeah. Is Ernie Hudson, uh, best known for playing Winston Zeddemore in the Ghostbusters movie. Ernie! Ernie! Why did you tell us you could act? Why couldn't you tell us you could bring? Why? Why? Why did you tell us you could steal the he show? He was the movie. He was the thing that tied the whole movie together for me when I first watched it. I'm like, thank goodness he is here because otherwise this movie. Would where be a total has Ernie trailer. Hudson been? Where has this Ernie been hiding? Next up, playing uh, the secret second best character in the movie, Hermerka Homolka is Tim Curry. Do love a bad, whatever, Romanian, Romanian accent. accent. He was very close to a bad Russian accent. And then next up, playing the character of R.B. Travis, who is sort of like the the rich American mogul. He essentially fills money, in Money, money, money. I don't care about lives. No, diamonds. I want those diamonds. <laughs> Insert every kind of corporate character that ever exists in these movies in there. And of course, he's being played by Joe Don Baker, who, of course, uh, most people will know from being in Goldeneye. And I think the world is not enough, but I know him best from being in Walking Tall, as well as the cult classic Mitchell, as well as Final Justice. He is a great, terrible actor. He's also in Fletch. Uh, I tell you what, he never does a bad performance, but he's typically in, like, bad action movies, where the thing about him is, like... Well, welcome. He always plays, like, action heroes, but he's always slightly overweight, <laughs> which always makes it amusing for me. And then last, but certainly not least, playing who should have played the the main character of Peter Elliott, instead playing Charlie Travis, who, of course, is Joe Don Baker's character's son, is Bruce Campbell. Mm-hmm. Totally wasted in this role. Yes, very much so, very much so. Ash himself and, you know, so this was his from first, all the Spider-Man movies. This was his first big Hollywood role. So the oh, really? Evil Dead movies were very much cult movies. They weren't considered like Hollywood movies. So this movie was his big sort of leap into Hollywood stardom. And like I said, completely wasted. He should have and played- he eaten by a gorilla? Yes, and he should have played the main character. Let's get into the plot right now, Matty D. Let's walk us through it. All right. Strap yourself in, because this kind of goes all over the place. Yes. So, the movie starts off- Every time you think you have a bead on the movie, it just, like, swerves in a different direction. And I kind of want to walk through this, as in my experience yes, watching I the movie. Yes, I would love to. So, I don't know anything about this movie. Kieran has told me that it was a movie made based on the success of Jurassic Park. So, I'm thinking, oh, it's Jurassic Park with gorillas. Okay. We can get on board here. So, we open up. We're in the Congo. Yep. We meet uh, Bruce Campbell's character, whose name, I don't know. Charlie. He- Charlie, right. Yeah, doesn't him, really matter. Yeah, him and a few researchers are running around. They like they call into um the bad CEO guy whose name is Travis. Uh, Travis. Just call him Joe Don Baker. Joe Don Baker, yeah. Um And, and Karen's. And there also too. Karen, because Karen and uh and Bruce Campbell have like a relationship. Yep. They're married, right? Yeah, they married they're not or? married, they're no, engaged. They're engaged, yeah. That's right. They they're they're in love. So, you know, they're they're sort of communicating. You know, with, with the finest technology, yeah, that uh, ever. I, I got to say, this They're movie communicating is over like so nineties video satellite arrangement. Yeah, it's 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 unbelievably nineties the tech they have. It. it and I, by the way, just halfway through the broadcast, I don't want to step on your toes uh, here. Bruce Campbell is just like, oh, give me a second while I pick up this laser and just fire it into the background for a few seconds. <laughs> and like a fire is raging behind him from the laser, and he's just there casually talking away to the camera. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's hanging out, giving them like a, a report on what's happening, and his buddy—they're so they're searching for a diamond mine, like yes. a lost diamond mine in the lost city of Zinj, I believe it's yes. called. Yes. So, um, yeah. So I, I think they found it at this point. 
or at least they are they getting close yeah, to finding getting it. Close yeah. to finding it, and and uh, Bruce Campbell's buddy's like, "Hey, come over here! I'm going to show you something." Mm-hmm. Bruce Campbell's like, "Okay," and they dive through some water, and then they, I guess, I, I I'm not wasn't too sure what they were what he was talking about. I think maybe the old wreckage of the Temple of Zin, perhaps, is what Zinge, yeah, Zinge, sorry, is what what he was referring to. But um, oh, they found the eye symbol is what they found, right? right. That, so that indicated the uh, the entrance to the temple or yeah. to the diamond mine. Sorry, yeah. So, guy goes ahead, you know, Bruce Campbell's like, uh, come out, I'm waiting here. for yeah. you, yeah, I'll meet you back here, and finds he gets hit in the head with an eyeball. Yeah, that's right. And then Bruce Campbell turns around and gets graphically killed by a, a gorilla, but we don't really see yeah, it. Yeah, we don't see it. it. In all its glory, yet. And so, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, okay, this is what kind of movie this is. This is like a, a B-grade horror movie where gorillas yeah. are just going to tear people up. Okay, I can- I can. Yeah, so you thought it was like regular gorillas attacking people in the yes. jungle. And it was going to be like, oh, it's going to be our good guys versus gorillas in the jungle. Yeah, so I was like, okay, it's going to be like your John Rambo. They're going to send a task force out there. It's going to be gorillas versus man, gorilla, blah, blah, blah. Right. Okay, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. And right? Bruce Campbell's going to be our main character because why, why wouldn't he be? Yeah, well, he's dead. Yeah, well, you saw that he died, yeah. He, we saw he died, and and the movie for the rest of the movie kind of hints that maybe he's not dead. Yeah, they're trying to find him. Um, I always thought he was dead. Yeah, but, me too. Uh, but I guess the movie kind of made it seem like he maybe wasn't. So maybe if he was jumped in as a surprise ending character, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. Hey, comes back with a chainsaw on his arm. But they do confirm he is dead, and and of course this all gets broadcasted to uh to whatever that guy's name is, uh, Travis. Joe, Joe Don Baker. Yeah, Travis. Yeah, Travis and so by his satellite. So tra- he takes all his money from this big satellite in space. Of course, where else would a satellite be? But yeah, so his whole thing is just like, if the satellite runs dry, I need another source of income. Diamonds. <laughs> I need my diamonds. So Travis, uh, Charlie is Travis's son. Is that that's right? right. That's right. And Bruce so, Campbell is Joe Don Baker's and son. And so Travis is just like, my money's going my away. Diamonds. Yeah, my diamonds. I'm going to send people in there. I'm going to send Karen. Karen, you got to go so in there. So Karen is an ex-CIA agent. Yes. you got to go and get my diamonds. And then Karen's like, you mean your son, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> your, your son. Yeah. Uh, uh, my diamond son. If you happen to find diamonds, make sure you find the diamonds. <laughs> he makes no attempt at like covering his truth. He, he doesn't give a shit that his son was just killed by gorillas. He's just like, go in there and rescue those diamonds. I mean, my son. <laughs> What's done is done. And then Karen is like, if I find out that I'm just being sent in there to get diamonds, you're going to have something coming, buddy. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, no, no, it's yeah. my son that I want. But uh, make sure you look at the diamonds. Yeah. So that's where we're like, start with this movie starts off. Yeah. Right? And we're like, okay, cool. And then it jumps to uh, a, a the lead. I would say the lead. Yeah. Uh, Peter Elliott. That's right. And he's and he's also, he has like this <laughs> uh, Woody Allen assistant yeah, that's that right. hangs around him. Uh, who's who's with a gorilla, a, a robotic gorilla, by the way. Um, practical effect oh, It's gorilla. a person in a suit. Yeah. It's a person in <laughs> oh, a gorilla suit. Yeah. Is it a suit? Yeah, that's right. I thought it was like a robotic gorilla. Of the so movement. the face is robotic, but the gorilla itself is someone in a suit. Ah, right, right, right. So- Essentially, we it get was to- a Stan Winston effect. It was the, all the gorillas in this movie are puppets. <laughs> yeah. So. so when we just thought we were seeing a movie about like violent gorillas killing people, we get introduced to Peter Peter Elliot, who's kind of this uh, research scientist that's working closely with one particular gorilla called Amy. That's right. And this is this is and something- Amy is based on Coco the real yes, life. Yes, Coco the gorilla who had uh, who had a relationship with uh, Robin Williams. Yeah, that was sexual one, yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. Well, he did say yeah, that. He had a friendship. He, yeah. he was like, he was like, the gorilla got really touchy. That's right. <laughs> uh, but this is based on a real thing. 
Uh, we've taught, well, we, I'm not claiming that I did it, but like they've taught gorillas how to paint, how to use sign and how to communicate. That's so right. In a very primitive way, gorillas have been able to communicate with us, with humans. So, so we're introduced to Amy painting and she's obsessed yes. with painting the jungle and a yellow eye. And a yellow eye, yes. And so, you know, it's a play on this idea. So Amy's a gorilla that they've managed to talk and she's got this robot arm. That's right. So they've got this technology that uh, for people who- <laughs> well, let me so get into for this. people who can't speak. For people who can't speak, they've got this arm that's kind of like a glove. And when you sign with the glove- That's right. The robot voice talks. It translates sign language into, like, audio. Yeah. Now, I mean, sign language is very different. If you were to translate sign language to, like, language, it would be completely different. That's right. It would would read completely different. But I guess this this movie just ignores this. And so, we see a scene where- Peter is like this. We use this technology, and he shows the technology of a man who, who's uh, who. So I he's guess, speaking to like potential investors. Yeah, yeah. He's he's, he's given a, a talk about this to investors, and he um and he sort of introduces this technology that's used for people who can't speak. They can sign with this robot glove. And the and guy's he's like, "What if we taught a gorilla how to do sign language, and then put the robot glove on the gorilla? And then the gorilla can talk." Yeah, and I loved how the guy was just like, "This is the first time I've heard my voice." It's like, "Well, that's not yeah." The guy one. who's uh, deaf and yeah. well, well, no, he can't speak, but he also knows sign language. And he's yeah. like, this is the first time I've ever heard my voice, but it's not your voice, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a robot voice. I know. So they wheel out, or they don't wheel out, but they take out Amy, and Amy charms the pants off everybody. She talks. She talks about what she likes and stuff, and everyone's yeah, that's like, right. oh, a gorilla that can talk, a gorilla that can talk, a gorilla that so can talk. breakfast, and everyone's just like, wow. <laughs> of course, this is this would be a big idea, so everybody wants, wants on board with it. And we uh, cut to Tim Curry in the audience, looking yes. like very schemingly at so, the gorilla. So Tim Curry, we think he's going to be the bad guy, right? He's like yeah, that's right. Fiddling with an eye, like a like a ring that has an eye shape. That's on right. It. He doesn't have the eyeball that Bruce Campbell got pegged <laughs> at him. So I, I'm watching this movie. I'm like, okay, is this going to be like he's going to take the tour to the Congo, and it's going to be like a buddy movie, and the gorilla is going to be Amy's going to be the gorilla that talks the bad gorillas down? Oh, or, interesting. I guess it kind of works out like that, but well. Yeah, the plot at this point is that good old Peter wants to take Amy back to the jungle. Yes. He's like, yes. He's like she's had a good life here, but she needs to be back with her kind in So, the he has this revelation where he's like, he's like, oh, I've got all these opportunities. Everyone wants to pay money to me. This is all really successful. But he looks at all the pictures and he realizes that Amy's calling to the jungle. So, he wants to take Amy back to the jungle. And That's he right. sells this to an investor and says, look, like, this is the right thing to do. But also, she can train the other gorillas. And they're like, maybe. And then all of a sudden- when all hope is lost, we have da 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 Tim Curry. As her Mulkey, yeah, he turns up and he's like, I will pay. In the second <laughs> in the second movie I watched of Tim Curry this week, because I sat down and watched the original well, not the original, but the Musketeers movie. Oh wow. Which he was fantastic in. Yeah, where he's what the cardinal. Trip down, trip down memory lane that was. So you thought he was fr- he was fresh out of that movie, so you're like, he's gonna be the bad guy in this movie too. Yes. And he certainly looks nefarious. Yeah, so he's this uh this shady Romanian that says, I was once a bad guy. The, I will the- pay for Amy to go back to the jungle. Yes, yes. So so he's the investor and, and they're all gonna go off and they're gonna they're about to board the plane and all of a sudden old Tim Curry is just like, Oh, did I Sorry. say I could pay the plane? Oh, I don't think I could play the plane. Because he's full of shit, everybody. That's yes. that's the the deal with this character. And, and of course, to the rescue. You. Karen comes in, and I think I, I, I sort of missed a point in this movie, but I believe she's trying to get to the Congo to That's right. save Charlie, save Bruce Campbell. She's like, this guy going to the Congo with his gorilla, he's going taking the gorilla to the exact place where yes. Charlie was, so yes. this is a perfect opportunity and for me to come she has a problem on. with her visas, 
despite being part of a really well-off company and being like CIA and whatever. That's right, yeah. Her visa's going to expire, so this is the last plane that she can catch. So she says- I'll fund the expedition. I've got money, I'll fund the expedition. So off they go to the Congo. I don't don't think there's any other characters other than the three of those, the four of those, the five of them. They have like a little getting to know you. So there's the white bread Peter Elliott guy. There's his Woody Allen assistant- there's Amy the Gorilla, don't forget her. There's yes. Homolka, who's Tim Curry's character. And of course, there's Karen, who is Laura Linney's character. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, these are our characters. That's right. They arrive in the Congo. Not very interesting, but yeah, whatever. I'll tell you, you know, at least Tim Curry's there to add a little bit of flavor. I think they're all they're all pretty diverse characters and you get a sure. lot out of them from, right, right from the get-go. But you know? if it was Bruce Campbell instead of Dylan Walsh, I'm going to keep harping on this because I thought it was such a huge mistake. If yeah. it was Bruce Campbell in the lead role- this movie would have so much more charm to it. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Because who the fuck is Dylan Walsh? Well, he just didn't give anything to it. No. Yeah. Compared to everybody else that was He was there. given something to that gorilla, I'll tell you that. <laughs> there were so many people who insinuated he was having sex with that gorilla yeah. all throughout this movie. Yeah. I mean, that was the joke, right? Yes. But uh, he was romantic towards Karen, right? Was that something that was insinuated? Sort of, but not really. Because the gorilla got jealous of Karen. That's right. <laughs> Ugly woman. <laughs> Ugly woman. Uh, so they arrive. The Congo is in warfare. Everything's so going uh, to shit. as they land in Central Africa to travel over to the Congo. The president's car explodes. There, right? There's a coup. A coup starts. So the yeah. the military ends up in combat with the current government. Yeah. Which yeah. Uh, this is where they introduce. I'll let you introduce good old Captain Monroe. Yes. And uh, he basically says like this happens every couple of weeks. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we also get to meet uh what's his face from Bad Boys? Oh, Joe Pantiliano. Yeah. yeah talk about another nineties staple. Yes. Him as the old Ralphie from uh The Sopranos. Yeah, and uh Baby's Norm, Day Out. Norm from Baby's Day Out. Come yeah. on. Oh, he was he was everywhere at this time, and he's like he's the guy that looks after their passports and stuff. That's right. He isn't in the movie too much, but he has no. a few choice scenes here with Ernie Hudson. He's there because it's a nineties movie. That's right. He has of to be here. He has to be there. And so they're, they're going along, and then all of a sudden they bump into Ernie Hudson, and he's like, get in the truck, we need to- I'm the big white hunter, who happens to be black. <laughs> now, this character, my word, this character is so goddamn charming. Yes. Can you imagine if it was Sean Connery in the 80s? Would not have worked. I think it would have been better, to be honest. Oh, really? But Ernie Hudson did such a great job that I'm not upset. I was- Because 80s uh, Sean Connery was like, pretty much aside from the 60s when he was James Bond- was top of his game charisma yes. style. True. Man who would be king, uh, the the first great train robbery. You know what? I take it back. It would work. It yeah. Would work. But it only works. in that specific point in time. But I guess- Indiana Jones, Sean Connery would not work no. for this role. No. I guess, I, I guess it was- I, I, Don't I guess- picture Alan Quatermain. <laughs> is basically yeah, what I'm right, saying. Yeah, I get you. I get you. The, the character was actually written as an Alan Quatermain-esque character. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. And there's a James Bond-esque-ness to him as well. That's right. But um, but yeah, I, I guess for me, I just I remember seeing it was Ernie Hudson and going, oh. And then he started talking and I was like, oh, what the fuck, Ernie? Yeah. What, what, what? Where have you been hiding this talent? Oh, and uh, like a footballer, he just kind of like takes the movie and he runs with it. Yeah. He's, for the rest of the movie, he carries it. He steals the movie. Well, uh, aside from one actor who I want to talk about. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Uh, so, just to quickly jump to that point, because we're quickly running out of time, they need to smuggle, because this coup is happening, they have to smuggle, so Ernie Hudson, uh, Captain Monroe, he has to smuggle uh, our heroes out of the airport and out of the country in a sort of basically like a military jeep, because otherwise they'll be detained by the government. Yeah. So, they travel to the border of the Congo, and they get found out, so some soldiers look in the back of the truck and see that they're smuggling people, and they get all uh, detained by the government at that point. 
And then we get to meet my favorite character in the whole movie, Captain Wanta, who's sort of like in charge of this uh, this border section, which leads into the Congo. And essentially, they're told at this point, you're not allowed to go beyond this section. You're going to have to go back to America. But they end up going and meeting with Captain Wanta, who when they introduce him, he's just like, have some coffee and cake. And they don't sit down and goes, have some. And then about three seconds later, he says to, he says to Tim Curry's character, Homoka, he's like, Homoka? Stop eating my sesame cake. So this is this Stop is, eating my sesame I, cake. I wasn't gonna talk about this scene at all, but I knew, knew you'd bring this up. <laughs> this is my favorite scene in the whole movie. No shit, because you've said it to me. Like I quote the, it all the yeah, time. Yeah. So like when we're I, I there's been times that I and I've not seen this movie. Yes. Kira doesn't provide any context for this to me at all. I'll be sitting there hanging with Kira and there'll be a bowl of chips. In, in the, chips, by the yes. way. Chips in the center of the table, and Kira will be like Maddie D, have some coffee and cake pointing at the chips. <laughs> I'll be like, what? Like, they're chips. Have like, some. Have some. I was like, oh, okay. And then I eat it. And then he would be like, Maddie D, <laughs> stop eating my sesame seed cake. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And now I have context. Thank you. My other favorite part in the scene is like, they hand him some money and he goes, more. <laughs> And then they give him some more money and he puts it in like a, a brown paper bag, which he staples very hastily with with a stapler and goes, don't want nobody peeking. Yeah. And then uh, Karen elbows a guy in the crotch. Well, and he he's goes, like sm- sniffing her hair. Yeah. And uh, good old Wanta goes, very good. You surprise him. And that's the whole scene. Just every line that this character says is yeah. just complete gold. I, I, I knew watching this, this was a Kieran scene. Yes. Like this was this was your scene in the movie. So just, liar, liar, your pants are on fire. So just to rush, they're trying to they're trying to take <laughs> yes, please. Uh, the gorilla to the to his home. Covered the most important scene in the movie. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what happens is is that it's revealed that Tim Curry's character recognizes from the paintings that the gorilla painted that Amy has been She's to- from where the, the hidden mine is. Yeah, so it gets revealed that his character is interested in finding Solomon's mine where there's a bunch of uh, fabled right. diamonds. And he's gone on in a the few- city of Zinj, yeah. Yeah, he's gone on a few failed quests there and that's why he's sort of pushed everyone to go there because that's what he's trying to find. That's right. He's noticed the painting. He's noticed the eye that the- or, or you know, the- yeah, Which well, is quite a coincidence, mind you. It's such a coincidence because that could be anything. But he's just like, no, that's the eye of the temple. The gorilla's been there. I need the gorilla to show me where the temple is. And at this point, I'm just like, is this just not going to pay off? And then eventually they do stumble, literally stumble on the temple. That's right. But before then, I just want to briefly talk about there's a scene where they're attacked by hippos at nighttime. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So I'm waiting for the, the I gorillas. I love that scene, yeah. And they're, they're sort of, I, I think they're on a river or That's something, right. right? They're and taking boats down a river. Sudden, and by the way, hippos are goddamn scary. That's and right. If you see a hippo eating a watermelon as if it was nothing. Yeah, like, that's right. Terrifying, um, and yeah, the, the hippos attack just rip their ship and tread. That was That's cool. right, and bites a guy and almost kills him. Yeah, it was a great scene. I love that scene. It's one of the highlights of the movie for me. Um, outside I, of Captain I can't remember. Wanta. There's a plane scene in there somewhere. Oh, where they're so, flying. And- yeah, as they're trying to fly into the Congo from Central Africa, uh, because of the whole coup that's going on, the the military end up shooting down their plane with a rocket launcher, yeah, like it's an episode to, of Miami Vice. Jump out, yeah. And they have to fire flares at the rockets, and they all take parachutes and jump out. But you know, we've seen that in a million Expert movies. Expert marksman. But yeah, so it all comes. And to- Joe Don Baker thinks that they've died, so he, at some point he sends in a second expedition to rescue them, and we just see like the plane flying overhead and they're like oh look another plane's coming and it just gets shot down by <laughs> missiles and they all die 
But yes, you were up to the point where they stumble across the Lost City of Zinj. Yeah. So then it becomes like an Indiana Jones film and you're just like, okay, all right. I'm with it, I guess. I'm kind of like like whiplashed here by what genre this is. And And at this point, we still haven't seen the evil gorillas. No. So we've been introduced to a tribe of gorillas that Amy is sort of just like, hello. And they're like, fuck off. (laughs) No. And Amy gets sad. Yeah, that's right. She runs off. None of the gorillas like her. She, she abandons our humans at this point, too. So, she disappears around this point in the movie. I mean, she comes back. So yeah, she comes that. back. But, yeah, I'm just saying uh, for context. But, anyway, in, in, and then this part of the movie where they are in the temple just becomes a case of, like, they find the diamonds. That's right. And then just all sort of, of sudden, sitting on the ground. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, these gorillas, that aren't gorillas. They, they say they're not gorillas. So, they're not gorillas. They're sort of gorilla-like beings that were bred by yes, the, the they were city bred. people. Yes. To help guard the diamond mine. But yep. they ended up, because they were so strong, they ended up um, overthrowing the, the people and ended up taking over the city for themselves. <laughs> yeah, so there's this whole stupid thing that gorillas are peaceful, but they have to be bred for, you know, warfare. For warfare. So there's these grey gorillas. Ugly gorilla. Ugly, ugly. Gorilla. Go away. They kind of look like they, they kind of have a skull face almost. That's sometimes. right. So the gorillas and come- they don't look particularly convincing. I <laughs> know. <laughs> So, the suits in 2001 A Space Odyssey look fantastic compared to these grey gorilla suits. Yeah, so the, the gorillas tear apart Tim Curry. He has a spectacular death. Yeah, that's right. Ah! Um, and they, they most of them escape. What about the they, they regroup back in the jungle? Like, yes, the, our heroes regroup back the in the jungle. And they set up, like, this wire perimeter fence around yeah. the uh, their camp. With, like, laser-guided guns. Yes. So, if anything comes through the jungle, they'll break through the beam of the, the wire grid. And the gun's like- It's like aliens or something ridiculous like that. The guns sort of spin around and fire at them. So, we have- yeah, I'll let you explain it. Yeah. They, they kind of just, like, have, like, a, a, a- Yeah, as you said, a barrier set up. And they just wait for the gorillas to come out. And they just start opening fire on these gorillas. That's right. It's like a full-on war scene. Yeah. Where, like, wave of wave of evil gorilla comes tearing into and the it camp just, just to be mowed out. down. Yeah, it just comes out of nowhere. They they come and they regroup and they're just like, oh, my God, that was that was intense. Let's prepare for battle. And just, like, yeah. instantly just, like, get together. And the, the rest of the movie becomes kind of hazy for me because, like, they-, they I do believe they- well, One sh- of the best parts happens at, around this point in the movie. They do shoot down the gorillas. So, what happens kill is- them all, I, I just want to explain what, what happens just for anyone who hasn't seen the movie- so, they end up going back into the the temple because they want to recover their friends. Yeah, and they find Charlie. Karen He's ends dead. up finding uh, Charlie's body. He's still clutching a diamond in, in his hand. He still has the laser gun with him there. Of course, Karen picks up the laser gun and loads, like, a diamond into it yes. to superpower it. And then, of course, when they're deep in this temple with all the diamonds, uh, the evil gorillas come back. There's still more of them. And they're like, what are we going to do? And Karen <laughs> powers up the laser and yes. says- Put him on the endangered species. List <laughs> yes! And just starts opening fire on the evil gorillas, slicing off their limbs, slicing them in, them in half so their guts spill out everywhere. It was amazing. And then at the same time, a volcano erupts. Yes, that's right. There's just a random volcano there that erupts. Lava pours into the temple. They all have to run away. And then the next sequence of the movie is the gorillas c- committing suicide by flinging themselves into the lava as they're being shot up by laser beams at the same time. And there's time. been no indication that there's a, like a volcano. No one spoke about this, at least. Well, we see it on a map, but there's, well, you there's know, no there's- indication that it's active and going to explode. Yeah, there's no there's no warning to this. It just explodes. So all of our heroes have to leave. They get into a hot air balloon. They find a hot air balloon yeah. after they <laughs> escape from the lava. So only... Ernie Hudson, uh, Laura Karen, Linney, 
Uh, good old Peter. They're the only survivors, and I think the Woody Allen guy also survives. No, he dies. No, he remember? does he, die. He stays, that's right. he stays outside. Someone's squashed dies. head gets thrown down like a hallway. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. Like someone goes in to explore a temple, and they're like their head has been smashed. I thought by that a was gorilla. the Woody Allen guy. It was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. His head just comes sliding back like Mr. a pool Neuroses. of blood. It's like, oh, I don't like this. Yeah. Chucky Finster's dad. But of course, Amy goes back with her. She ends up being accepted by the the group of gorillas. Because uh, yes. one of the silverbacks falls in love with her, and Peter gets jealous. He's just like, oh, I guess you're banging him now. <laughs> I didn't get that vibe. I didn't and get like, the vibe that that she was in love either. I, did you, oh wait, he said like handsome one. Yeah, that's like, right. So he's better looking gorilla than me. Yeah. So yeah. they they leave in a hot air balloon. Yes. And then uh, and uh, and at this point, she gets in in contact again. She's been in contact as in Karen's been in contact with, with Joe Don uh, Baker. With, yeah, Joe Don Travis, Baker. Travis. Yep. And he's just like, oh, you you have the you have the diamond, and she's just like, what about your son? And he's like, oh yeah, him. Do you have the diamond? And then she was just like, I don't think you cared about your son at all. I think you only wanted the diamond, and so she throws the diamond away. And oh, actually. She gives the diamond to uh, Peter, who throws the diamond. That's right. I don't know why that's important. And then what does she do to get revenge against Joe Don Baker? Uh, I can't remember. She fires her laser gun oh, into right. space and blows up his satellite. That's right. blows up the satellite, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought that- was, I, I was trying to remember that there was a laser that shot something and it was- Yeah, the, she literally pointed the laser into the sky and fired and blew up the, and the it, satellite in and space. And it ruins his tel- uh, telecommunication. That's yeah. right. So, it completely ruins Joe Don Baker's business. Yes. So, he's completely fucked. Yeah. And then they, they sail off into the sunset in their hot air balloon and off, that's the end of the movie. for a sequel. A sequel, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so, that was Congo. Yes, that was Congo. Matty D, your thoughts on Congo? If it sounded like a mess, it was because it was. Absolutely. I, I, I like stopped this movie and I was just like aghast. I was like, I don't know what to think of this. I don't know what I think of this. Uh, this That was fucking- Because every time, like I said, you start to get a beat on the movie, it, it just changes. completely changes direction and just like more crazy stuff happens. The fact that they land in Africa and within seconds there's like a car explosion in the background. You're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, the movie just changes. Like, yeah, that's each right. time and- I don't know what they intended this movie to be. I'm guessing that's what the original script was like. Uh, the original <sighs> script must have been... Actually, they probably added in... I'm guessing back in the 1980s, in the early 1980s, they wouldn't have had like the whole laser aspect of no. the movie or probably the whole sign language uh, being translated. I'm guessing all of that high-tech stuff was added in because it was 1995. Yeah. So, high-tech, yeah. I would love to see that original script and see how it compares, but obviously I didn't get there, a chance to do that. There are some actors that know what movie they're in. And some yes. actors that don't, and sometimes the actors that don't also, it also works for the movie that they yeah. don't know what movie they're in. It was fun. Uh, I I think I enjoyed it. I, it was like, a for me, it was like a nice little time capsule to like, if someone wants to watch what the 90s were like, as far as yes. it's concerned- Watch it's the perfect movie because, like '90s movie because everything about it, like like all the all the actors were like your '90s standard actors. Um, the the clean sets, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's like right. Like how they're in a they're in a war torn country, but everything's just clean, pristine. Yeah. Yes. Um. And and the technology, like the you know the the boxing. No technology. CGI in the movie either. Everything was done practically. There were some composite effects on the lava at the end, obviously. Uh huh. But, you know, it was I nice mean, to see- the explosions were what? They were composite effects. Right. So, they're like uh, miniatures or like other right. explosions that they filmed and then put over the top of the, the film. So, they didn't use CGI, uh, which is refreshing because, you know, post-Jurassic Park, could you imagine if all those evil gorillas or even uh, Amy herself were CGI, like 90s oh, CGI creations? Terrifying. 
Yeah, it would not have worked at all. So look, and that's what they do today. Yeah, it wasn't the movie I expected. I didn't expect the gorillas to turn up that late in the game as well. Like, yeah. they were not even a thing. Well, the movie's called Congo, not I Evil Gorillas. So, but they're on the box, not you know, they're on the well, cover. Amy's on the cover. I thought the big grey gorilla was. No, no, it's Amy on the front cover. Oh, whatever. So it's like part buddy movie, part. Uh, Indiana Jones adventure part like horror movie, uh, horror movie, sci-fi you know, with the part laser beam, sci-fi part uh, adventure, like like uh, war torn, like espionage esque stuff. Yeah. Part war movie, Did I say part buddy movie because that's how it you felt. Already with the said grill. that, yeah. So yeah, it was uh, you got a lot. I liked it. I would never watch it again sober. Um, yeah. and that's my thoughts on it. So, I always say it's certainly not a good movie. Oh, no. It's absolutely not a good movie, but I certainly enjoy watching it. It's a fun movie, though. It's a lot of fun. It's not good, but it's, it's fun. It's something. Yeah. It's 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 something. I think if you were going to watch it for the first time, have a few drinks with it. Have it in like a, a fun sort of party setting, and you're going to have a great time. Yeah. Don't go into it expecting Jurassic Park. No. Yeah, it, it floored me, to be honest. Like, yeah. I was just like, what the fuck did I just watch? And I've got a million more just like <laughs> for the future, Matty D, whenever we, in a year or whenever we do another one of these episodes again. Yeah, well, you're watching the Titanic. Oh, I hope not. It's going to be something more fun than Titanic. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Yeah, you Titanic like Titanic. Could be I know I'm not going to. That's the problem. I knew I wasn't going to like Lawrence of Arabia and I didn't. There was nothing about it that turned me around on it. I mean, I still appreciated stuff in the movie. But I, it was never going to be a movie that I was going to like. Titanic is going to be the same. So it'd be fun to take, like, maybe a movie that's really bad that I'm going to have a terrible time with as opposed to, like, a classic like Titanic. Or would be nice to, to recommend a movie that I might like. <laughs> but that's that's a conversation for the future. Let's open it up to the audience. Thanks for sitting with us for this this episode where we talked about two really long movies. By the way, one last question I had for you, Matty D, about Congo. Do you think Congo was successful in the cinema? No. Box office-wise? No. You don't think so? It made three times its budget, had a budget of $50 million, and it made $152 million, so it was a massive success. What? Wasn't as successful as Lawrence of Arabia, though, which had a, I think it had a $15 million budget, and it made $70 million, which means it made four and a half times its budget. But Congo and uh, Lawrence of Arabia were very similar success-wise in the box office. So well, people, they, they watched the shit out of Congo. Did they like it? Absolutely not. So, so it, was it was it successful because it it was, was successful? Yeah. No, but was it successful because of its marketing or because it became such a? a I can't believe this movie. Um, it, I think it was because of the marketing. To be perfectly honest, right. everyone was hungry for another Jurassic Park, so they went expecting that. And because Jurassic Park was such a huge movie and had such huge hype around it, they're like, oh, from the from the writer of Jurassic Park. You know, it's basically they sold it as this is going to be the next Jurassic Park. And so people went to see it, made a shitload of money. Nobody liked it. Right. But yeah. Have you seen Lawrence of Arabia? Are you a fan of that movie? Have you seen Congo? Are you a fan of that movie? Are you not a fan of either of those movies? You can let us know in several places. Let us know your thoughts as well. Uh, you can contact us at potentialspoilerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can simply leave us a comment on this episode's page on our Podbean site. Let us know your thoughts on either of the movies we covered today. Wow, I've got to say it's refreshing to, you know, do something easy for a change. We just simply had to watch a movie and talk about it. It's still going to be one of our longest episodes just because we're covering two several hour long movies. But yeah, I had a great time. I hope you had a great time, Eddie D. And I hope you, the dear listener, had a great time listening. 
So before we wrap it up for another week, let's talk about what we're going to be discussing next week. Of course, we're doing another installment of Actual Spoilers, where we're going to go back and look at a movie that we've covered in the past and see how well we did at predicting the movie. And next week, we're going back and looking at a movie that I think that both Matty D and I were actual surprise fans of, Love and Monsters. Yeah, this this was a movie we were surprised about. I think that's... That, that's as far as we can say, but yeah, yes. it's an interesting one. I can't wait to revisit it and see if it uh, holds up in finger <laughs> quotes, because let's just say I didn't love the movie, but it was. It, we both thought it was going to be bad, but it ended up surprising us. Let's talk. Let, yeah, let's go into it further next week. But yeah, please join us next week for Love and Monsters. And until then, have some coffee and cake. Oh, it damn well hurts. Certainly it hurts. Well, what's the trick then? The trick, William Potter, is not minding that it hurts. Have some uh, coffee and cake. <sighs> Have some! Mr. Homoka. Well, stop eating my sesame cake. Stop eating my sesame cake! Mm hmm. What are you doing in my country, bag of shit? Captain, please. I only wish to explore and discover. This fellow is a big bag of shit. <laughs>